This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk all about security certifications for the U.S. public sector and how NetApp is leading the charge for securing sensitive data. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have some special guests to talk to us about some security aspects of ONTAP as well as some work we've been doing with security and the USPS sector. Uh, So to do that today we'll start off with our product manager Matt Trudwin. So Matt, what specifically are you the product manager of here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Yeah. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me again here on the podcast. I am a product manager for ONTAP security specifically, but work in general with a lot of other groups uh, within NetApp, you know, for other products, uh, they'd like to hear my security perspective and we just kind of work together as a team. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here today. All right. Excellent. Also with us today uh, in the security team, Dan Tullage. Uh, Dan, what do you do here at NetApp and how do I reach you? Hey, Justin. Yeah, I'm I'm a security technical marketing engineer, and I've been at uh, NetApp working on ONTAP security primarily for about you know, just over four years. And you can reach me at Dan underscore Tullage on Twitter. All right. And with us today also, Jim Kleinmeyer. So, Jim, what do you do here at NetApp? Hey, thanks for letting me be here today. Um, I'm one of the senior solutions engineers here at NetApp supporting the DoD and Intel community. And I've been doing that here at NetApp for over six and a half years, but I've been doing this for the greater community my entire career, which is 34 years. So I look forward to talking with you guys today. Thank you. All right. And last but not least, uh, Lloyd Granville, what do you do here at NetApp and how do I reach you? Hey, Justin, thanks for having me on the team here too. I am the CTO for the Department of Defense. I've been in this field for about 24 years now, recently retiring from the United States Army as a chief warrant officer. And I've been with NetApp for the last year and a half. You can reach me on Lloyd.Granville at NetApp.com. So what does a CTO of that particular organization do? Like what, what's your primary role and what sort of work does that entail? So as a CTO, I support all of the Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, Intel teams, the I provide strategic vision and direction to executive customers and let them know where NetApp's heading as a business unit. So if you have an, ex- an executive customer who maybe does not know that we have changed from that box company and that we are no longer just that providing the boxes within the data center and you need, you're just not getting your point across or you just can't open the door to the execs, then reach out to your CTO. You know, I, I uniquely have relationships within the DOD and, and I use my experience that I have coming up within the military to uh, open those doors and, and, have those conversations with directors or with CIOs and CTOs or with colonels, generals, what have you, and just carry those conversations and let them know we can provide you those services. Sadly, sometimes I end up saying the exact same thing that the reps and the SCs have been saying, but they just like to hear it from that that CTO title. I'll just be honest with you, but uh, I do I do help push our our goals across the line in areas that some people just can't reach. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, hearing it again is more of a comfort, I think, because, (laughs) you know, you weren't getting the runaround by the the sales teams. You were getting the actual real information. So hearing it again, I think it sometimes has its own value. You said it. All right. So uh, we're here to talk about the, the USPS sector uh, and specifically what NetApp is doing within that to work with uh, those, those organizations to get the best certifications for their their enterprise setups. Um, so before we do that, I want to turn it over to Matt uh, as the product manager to talk to us about what sort of security functionality does ONTAP uniquely provide that you might not get with another storage provider? 
Yeah, Justin. And, and before I get into that, uh, of course, I forgot to tell everybody where they could reach me. So now they can get that information now. I'm also on Twitter. I do not uh, code my tweets like Dan, so they're locked, but you can find mine at Intap Matt. Dan's a, Dan's a really secure one there on the Twitter. Dan is like the epitome of zero trust. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I need to drop tw- Twitter entirely. Um, but yeah no with that said there's there's a lot of technology built into ONTAP that is data centric uh, focused data centric security focused the way we like to talk about it is cyber resiliency right and what is cyber resiliency it is the ability to experience a cyber event and still maintain and serve your customer base right And, and be very resilient to that what is a cyber event is usually the next question we get it could be many things, um, a cyber attack from an external hacker. Um, it could also be man-made, uh, like just a power outage, you know, or maybe a natural disaster. Those could also be cyber events because they affect your business. So uh, we try to be very cyber resilient and have those type of solutions. And what that means in ONTAP specifically is uh, several security features, right? And the ones that we're really going to dive into today um, are some that have been around for a little while, but you're going to hear how they kind of all came together with some of these new uh, certifications, validations we're getting into. Specifically, that is encryption at rest. So for a while, if you can remember even back to early uh, ONTAP days of CDOT, uh, we had NetApp storage encryption, which was just self-encrypting drives. And we added FIPS validation for those. Uh, FIPS validation is important because it's having basically a third party say, yeah, what you're saying is legit, right? You're using the right cipher suites. I like to think about it as if you go back to that early elementary uh, math class, you couldn't just write you know, your answer down. You always had to show your work, right? It was kind of annoying. But from that standpoint, you know, validations say that same type of thing, right? You don't have to take our word for it. This third party, this body says that we do meet those things. And so NetApp storage encryption today, you can get FIPS validated drives that meet a certain standard. Actually, they're FIPS validated 140-2 level two, but I'm sure we're going to get more into the, the FIPS stuff later on. And then the other component, the other feature in ONTAP from that standpoint for data at rest encryption is NetApp volume encryption. Uh, and this was added a, a little while back in, in 9.1, and we continue to enhancement, enhance it rather over the years. And it's the ability to granularly encrypt each volume with uh, that AES 256-bit encryption, and it also carries a FIPS certification level. And so we provide dual-layer encryption in ONTAP at no extra cost, right? There are some, some uh, stipulations there around you know global trade and those type of things where you can actually send these encryption capabilities, but it's no additional cost. And we've had it that way to customers for a while. And so when you think about the benefit of that, and we'll get into the full benefits later, but if you have one layer of encryption and you happen to break it, say at the hardware layer, the drive layer, we have that software layer right on top. And so th- those are some of the, see- the key features from a security standpoint. And then there's lots of others as well, which go into um, a STIG uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, th- those are the key benefits, data at rest encryption, multiple layers. So I understand that ONTAP also has something called FIPS mode. Um, what does that do? Like, did, My understanding is it simplifies the whole process of, of getting a FIPS qualification. Can you get into a little more detail with what it actually does? Yeah, yeah. It's actually a great question because uh, FIPS mode can sometimes be confusing out there in the field. And it is separate from everything I just talked about. FIPS compliance mode is more about the actual management plane of the ONTAP system. What I mean by management plane? Well, when you're logging in to manage it by SSH or HTTPS, which things like System Manager use or REST APIs use HTTPS, really underneath the covers it's using TLS uh, 1.2, or it can be when you enable FIPS compliance mode. It's uh, kind of an easy button for your device to use secure ciphers and algorithms and things like that without you having to manually configure all those. And it's done in a FIPS compliant way, FIPS 140-2. So been in ONTAP for a long time. You just at the command line, you you enable it and it sets all your, your TLS settings and all that to be in compliance with FIPS and make it more secure. We have many customers that use it that aren't even concerned about FIPS compliance mode. They just want to get the uh, that level of FIPS security, right? And 
So they don't need the compliance, but they want the easy button for security rather than a manual tinkering of options. So I understand that we have other things for security in addition to this. You know, we have like our at rest encryption with our self encrypting drives or NSE drives, as well as the volume encryption and aggregate level encryption. But we also have this concept of something like in flight encryption. So can you kind of give me an idea of what we offer for that? Yeah, we have a few options there for in flight encryption. Um, you know, and this is all about, again, encrypting the data as it leaves the client device and heads over the network before it arrives at the on-tap NIC or, or lift from a logical standpoint. Um, it really depends on, or it used to depend more so on what your data type was, right? If you're using SMB or SIFS, then we have SMB v3 encryption, right? The protocol level. NFS, uh, we, we provide Kerberos with KRB5P. We use Kerberos encryption for for over the wire, but that didn't cover everything, right? We we also have uh, iSCSI, which is goes over the network. And so we didn't have an option for a long time, but for over a year now, we introduced IPsec, which did actually allow us to encrypt iSCSI as well. And what's great about that one though, is IPsec, IP security, it encrypts everything IP, right? So you have the option if you want to encrypt any sort of a IP connection. Generally, we recommend that only use be used for uh, NFS and iSCSI. NFS, because for some people, it can be a little bit more simple to set up versus Kerberos, which I mentioned earlier. Kerberos um, requires some other things in the ecosystem, LDAP and, and that type of thing uh, to work correctly. Whereas IPsec, it's pretty much you just need a something on the client and on the ONTAP side. So it's a little bit easier to configure. But uh, the only thing I'll, else I'll add to that is uh, it does um, have some performance overhead. Uh, the last one uh, that you need to consider, the last uh, sort of area for in-flight encryption that gets used a lot, and thankfully doesn't have that much performance impact, it has some, is cluster peering encryption for like uh, your snap mirror, encrypting your, your replication from ONTAP to ONTAP or snap vault or even FlexCache, right? We have native encryption capabilities you use TLS 1.2 there, and we actually turned that on by default, starting in 9.6, because the performance was so good. Uh, just like we turned on encryption at rest by default in 9.7, again, because of great performance. IPsec, uh, you don't see us turn that on by default yet, because the performance is uh, very specific, right? You're going to take a little bit of hit, but you might need the encryption there. So we only turn it on by default for encryption that uh, we know is not going to really cause any performance issues. Yeah, and my understanding with IPsec, as well as Kerberos, is the problem that comes with that is that with the performances, the processing of the encrypted packets, you know, basically encrypting them, decrypting them and back and forth. And that kind of has a CPU tax on each individual operation. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, but where we see it used, we do see it certainly used is some places absolutely have to have that anyway. Um, the neat thing about it is what I've seen with customers more recently is they're able to identify workloads with something like cloud data sense that we offer of where their particular documents are um, that are more sensitive. And so they may only enable uh, Kerberos or IPsec on those particular shares or exports. They don't have to enable it on everything, only on what their most critical assets are. So you mentioned that there are customers out there that absolutely require encryption, regardless of the cost of performance or anything else. And, and one of those one of those, um, I guess, business organizations or enterprises has to do with what we're talking about today, which is the USPS, the, the, the public sector pieces. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, Department of Defense or the military or Library of Congress, places that really require security. So, Lloyd, um, can you kind of give us a rundown of that industry and, you know, what are their main concerns with security? DOD in, in general, the military, they're looking at security from a, a multitude of facets. So one is logistics. One is if I have a TS system, I have to have a two-man or two-person, two TPI, two-person integrity rule. Two people have to now watch this system, maintain accountability of this environment at all times. So that means you have a logistical backend to every piece of equipment you have across the battlefield. So if there are any automated tools that can now create a data at rest environment that can create a secure environment that I can now move equipment, move data, make 
make my tool sets now seem so secure that they're classified at a unclass level because they're they're encrypted correctly. NSA has approved that, hint, hint. You know, the DOD loves that. They jump all over that. So that's just one aspect of it. The other is making sure that they're operating at the right level for the right country that they're speaking to. So if we're uh, conducting mission operations, you know, we're not going to do that in an unclassed environment, depending on who the uh, nation that we're we're conducting counter operations against. It could be in a secret environment, could be in a coalition environment, could be on a TS network. You're, you're looking at you're looking at security from from many different lenses, and depending on who's sitting to the right and left of you, is it a coalition partner or is it an enemy? But for the most part, we want to either get the job done or move equipment across the battlefield. Yeah. And we're basically looking at handling things probably differently when we're talking with allies and sharing information versus, you know, trying to stop a nation attack or conduct a nation attack where we're trying to, you know, retaliate or get information. So there's, there's a lot of aspects to this and there's a lot of places to think about security. And, you know, so when you're dealing with that, how do you distill it for those, those, you know, people that you're talking to, how do you ensure that they're getting the security levels they need? And how does it all get, I guess, tied together? Like, is, is there a set of cl- uh, classifications or certifications that you have to adhere to? How, how does that handled? So definitely. So cert, DOD, APL, the Doden APL, there's one there. There's a list of equipment that DISA has approved. They've scrubbed. They've identified that these are trusted, trusted equipment sets that you are allowed to run within a certain environment. So they know that these, this set of software has been patched to a certain level, that they know that cyber attacks are less vulnerable to happen if you are running the latest patches on this level, the latest STIGs. So if you're maintaining the correct STIGs and DISA is usually who the military or the DOD at a whole looks to for security guidance, DISA, NSA. So they're looking at STIGs, they're looking at the actual physical hardware, the APL, approved product list. And then they move that down to the actual owners of that environment, the uh, the ATO now, the the owner of your local domain. It's usually the, the commander. He now is now responsible for allowing you to place his network in certain buildings or place his network in certain areas. He now takes the responsibility or the risk of placing that TS network or that secret network, even that unclassed network in a field environment or in a tactical house. So you have to take certain precautions, certain risks, and now brief that all the way up to the chain of command that you're doing the right thing and taking the right, making sure you either have encryption, type one encryption or CSFC to the right level in a certain environment. So you're not alerting the uh, enemy that you are conducting operations as to not bring too much of an air of suspicion to yourself to not draw attention if you're conducting operations in a clandestine environment, or if you are operating out in the open, that you're still doing so safely. And so, like I said, type one encryption, if you're operating in an open environment, CSFC normally, if you're operating in a clandestine environment or a combination of the two paired with keeping yourself up to date with the latest digs, latest software patches, and using that data resolution. Hopefully, it's the NetApp's data at rest solution. So, so Dan, you know, with that in mind, where does NetApp fall into this? Like, how do we fit into the classifications and the certifications, and are we qualified? Yeah, we, we have a number of uh, certifications. And if you go to security.netapp.com forward slash certs, you can see our listings in the DOD um, information network approved products list. You can see our, our listing for uh, the FIPS 142 validation. You can also see we most recently um, 
Lloyd was talking about it, um, the commercial solutions for classified, the CSFC um, certification that, that's on there now and um, common criteria as well. So I, I think that covered all of them. And then we also have, uh, as Lloyd mentioned, we, we have an ONTAP STIG, a security technical implementation guide um, as of August of this year, which covers ONTAP 9.9.x. So it, it covers ONTAP 9 essentially. And so um, with that, um, customers can apply the, the, the STIG to their storage system, their ONTAP system, and make sure it's hardened to the, to the nth degree. So Matt, what about, uh, what, what are some other things that we do as a company that fall into this arena? Well, Justin, one thing I really wanted to call out there that might've been missed is the CSFC. It's a, it's a brand new validation for us it, on the certification page, Dan mentioned, and it's the commercial solutions for classified. And it's just a, a huge, huge thing uh, for our customers and NetApp together, right? And and Jim was very much uh, involved in that. So he might be able to uh, talk a little bit more about how the, how the importance of that is. So Jim, I'll probably let you chime in on that here. Sure, happy to do so. And I'm a bit remiss myself. If folks want to reach me, my email is james.kleinmeyer at netapp.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, more specifically, so the Commercial Solutions for Classified program, it, it's very important to DOD and intelligence community in general. Uh, the NSA is a sponsor of this particular program, and uh, it's part of their cybersecurity strategy. And the goal for them is to be able to quickly deliver commercial solutions that have been fully vetted to their customers in the field. So it gives them a tremendous technology advantage to be able to get the latest and greatest equipment from companies like NetApp, get it in-house, vet it, make sure it can meet the mission requirements, and then get that out to the field for our DOD and intelligence partners to be able to leverage to their advantage. And so the, the, the effort that we put into this cannot be really understated. Um, the agency produces what's called a capabilities package. It's a very robust standard that NetApp has to use a third independent third party to evaluate products such as ONTAP against. So when we talk about our two independent layers of encryption, how we store the keys, what type of encryption algorithms we use, how that information is processed and stored on the ONTAP devices, that's been fully vetted by, by this um, capabilities package for the NSA. And the reason is, in the case of this particular customer, we're able to store some of their most important security conscious data available, what we refer to as top secret information. So to be able to vet a product like NetApp ONTAP, to be able to contain that kind of information, essentially what we refer to as the tip of the spear, meaning to have that information out on the battlefield, to have it in various military specific environments, both the DOD and in the intelligence community, really says a lot about NetApp's desire to provide the best technology they can to this community. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you can understate that. Like, like Justin, what he just essentially said was, don't take our word for it. We've been externally validated that Top secret data is okay to place on ONTAP. So, Jim, you've done a lot of deployments, I would imagine, with this sort of thing. What are some of the key benefits that that your customers are looking at with ONTAP as a system? Like, why do they trust it so much? Well, a couple of reasons for that. So when you look at, you know, the, the military today and how things are deployed on a global scale, you start to look at how technology gets, gets used from, you know, basically from the edge or the tip of the spear to the cloud and to the core. And that philosophy of maintaining a common framework on how data is protected across the battlefield, through the intelligence community clouds and into the, the, the data centers for our customer is very, very important to them. And if you think about you know, what our DOD and, and other affiliates working on in the field, they have a lot on their plate. They have a lot of responsibility. And being able to say that your data is protected out at the tactical edge takes something off of their plate and allows them to focus on other things that may be more important at that moment in time. So in my particular customer's case, when customers are deploying data on a global scale, 
they can say that the keys that are being used to decrypt that information can be stored here in the good old US of A and two independent layers of encryption, hardware drives sitting in an ONTAP device, what we refer to as NSE, with their separate set of keys, and each individual volume stored on that ONTAP device, each having its own separate set of keys, all stored here in the USA where while equipment is deployed across the world is really significant because that guarantees that if we lose access to a key server or we have a reason to have to leave equipment behind, that data is still secure regardless of whether we have physical connectivity to that system or not. It's very, very important for our customers that are out on the tactical edge. Jim, I tell you, you're, you're so right. So in the field, commanders will love this solution because given the fact that we secure that data at a TS level, the highest level capable, if ever the soldiers have a tactical data center in the field with them and they are overrun, they don't have time to pick up carry everything they need, you know, at that moment, it's life or limb. You may not have time to crack that thermite grenade and destroy all of your equipment. Well, you don't have to worry about the enemy compromising your mission data. Our CSFC solution will guarantee that it will take them years of quantum computing to hack, to get at the data that's behind are two layers of encryption. So commanders can now brief to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, can brief up that a MI, a military intelligence operation, even though it was compromised, the goal was to save lives and the data was not compromised, even though the enemy seized that location, took our equipment and now has it in their possession. You know, that that's, speaks volumes for what they can do on the battlefield if they take and utilize NetApp CSFC solution and proliferate that throughout all of DOD. And I'll take this one step further. You know, we're, we've completely focused on what our customers do on the mission and supporting the DOD and the intelligence community as a whole. But think about the impact that it has for our commercial customers. Think about the impact that it has for, you know, our recent breaches in, in power production capability or in communications capability. The people that provide those resources to our company, to our country can also be under attack. Insider threats or adversaries, adversaries from another country trying to infiltrate our capabilities and bring down communications or Internet access, whatever the case may be. You know, this technology is very impactful for those parts of the country as well. And, and, and I just want everybody to understand that, you know, you couldn't have a technology vetted at a higher part or a higher capability in, in any agency. Yeah, I mean, we focused a lot on, you know, battlefield and, and enemies taking equipment, and that's that's important. But what you stated is, you know, there's another battlefield out there, and that's, you know, the, the actual data on site, people getting into the networks, bad actors inside of the in, inside of your organization, you know, potentially people that are being paid to be bad actors. So th there's a lot of things to think about. So we have to really consider our, our attack surfaces in a different way, not just being the battlefield, but also being pretty much anywhere you can get access to that data. Absolutely true. It leads directly into the zero trust initiatives and the zero trust frameworks because those are actually built on a micro core architecture. And if you think about two layers of encryption, the impact that it has on an additional layer of protection within that micro core strategy. So you assume that basically there are no good actors. Everybody is a threat, right? So without the proper vetting, without the proper credentials, and without the proper access to the keys, you know, you won't have access to the, to the, if you will, the, the most important information. So I know we also have things like, um, you know, so we have, we have things like encryption, we have uh, in-flight protection. What about things like secure purge? What, what sort of use cases are you seeing out there for your customers with the ability to handle data spillage and classified environments? Is, is it something that's valuable to them or is it something they don't think about a lot? So in my particular case, it is absolutely something that, that they think about. You know, unfortunately, we all, we're humans and we're all capable of making mistakes. 
And you could literally have a desktop environment where you might have two different shares mounted to an environment that you're accessing and the act of forwarding information or moving information from one system to another might cause you to inappropriately place more secure data on a less secure environment and vice versa. And so the ability to A, identify that that has actually happened and then to be able to take action to protect that information before it you know, become, gets, has an opportunity to become compromised is very important. So in the case of a, uh, a encrypted environment, such as that provided by NetApp volume encryption or even NetApp aggregate encryption, but more specifically, in NetApp volume encryption, we can actually go in and remove that file that shouldn't be there protect the data with a snapshot, put it onto a new volume with new keys, shred the old keys on the infected volume, and then delete the volume. So by understanding that process, you can quickly see how that data is no longer accessible and cannot be easily reconstructed. So I know that there's a big push in normal, you know, everyday businesses for for moving to the cloud. And I know that the DOD, as well as, you know, other USPS uh, organizations are looking at cloud more and more as well, you know, starting with like things like the Jedi Project, which I don't think is, is, I think is still in the air, right? So how are they approaching moving to cloud? Like, how are they dealing with that? And and I know that with on-prem, you have these secure rooms called SCIFs, where they can actually go in and view and access data without having any sort of external access to the network are they treating skiffs the same way with cloud are they still doing the localized secure rooms or are they trying to create a cloud skiff of sorts so for i can't speak for all departments and all agencies but there is a strong desire in the community to stand up a secure uh, cloud infrastructure right so the idea being treat the cloud as a skiff it's in a controlled environment that does not has no access to the internet as we know it today it operates on secure networks and it has very trusted um, individuals with the proper credentials and vetting to be able to manage maintain and operate those environments so you know cloud-like capabilities but in a privatized environment if you will Correct. And, and they also want, so you, you still have to maintain that sense of security when you access a secure environment. So they, the DOD or military, you know, you know, three letter agencies, they want to access secret environments on the move. They do it today. They do it securely today and they want to continue to do that. But when they move to the cloud and as they move to the cloud, they're looking for more ways to operate, like using your cell phone, accessing a secure environment, but nothing actually remains on your device. Everything is hosted in the cloud. All you're doing is creating a secure session. That's it. You still must maintain a secure environment. That, that's why you will probably only go up to the secret level at this point in a mobile environment. I don't I don't know about you, Jim, or if anyone else has heard of any environments that you can just walk around with a TS phone and, and speak in public, but secret, you can actually take a secret phone and and have that conversation as long as you uh, maintain your distance and are in a, a semi-private location. You can conduct a secret conversation on a secure on a secure phone and have a secure session. And that's what they want to maintain. That's how they're looking at the cloud. How can I do it with a laptop, have that session, and then close the laptop and still carry it on the plane like it's, you know, nothing. I just had that secure session. I'm not carrying around secret equipment or secret um, information on my persons. I just had that session. I had the right PKIs. I had the right tool sets, the right credentials to access it at the right time. And that's all I needed, just that session. So with these with these clouds, these secure clouds, are they looking at it from a managed service per- perspective or are they trying to build their own cloud environments, basically a roll your own so they can have full control over the security aspects of that? 
Well, there's several. So MailCloud, MailCloud is contractor owned. It's a uh, it's providing that service to the warfighter. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's in two locations, and it has it provides connectivity to the warfighter in case they cannot access the internet. You will still be able, or if you're on a military location installation connected to a DoD network, if you're cut off from the internet, you will still be able to access MillCloud. That's that was one main goal of mail cloud now there's jedi is at this point no longer a a thing jwcc has now replaced the jedi contract or i don't know if it's officially been awarded yet but that's the new hybrid cloud concept where the dod is no longer going with one vendor they will now take a multi-vendor approach which is i believe the smartest approach anyway and they'll have every cloud vendor google aws microsoft available and providing government cloud services to all of dod so at that go ahead Go you could think of that as a best of breed approach, right? Because exactly. certainly each of the hyperscalers today all certainly have their strengths. I mean, obviously, Microsoft is huge in the desktop environment. Like Lloyd had talked about earlier, the concept of having essentially a, a dumb terminal that allows me to connect into a network, have access to the things I need to do to do my job. But at the end of the day, when I log off, there's nothing locally stored on that system. And so, you know, that may be a strong suit for companies like Microsoft to come after with the Azure cloud. And then you start to have capabilities in the Linux world and in high performance computing and, and some of the other things that our customer has, you know, interest in. And, and those may be in a different hyperscaler. So the idea of bringing the best of all worlds together into an environment that is secure and capable of supporting this type of mission is, you know, I, I believe what the customer's end goal is, right? And and for NetApp to be a part of that is is actually something I'm very proud of. I agree. And, and you're right, Justin, it is a managed service. The, the DOD does not plan on running this in any way, shape, or form. They are paying for a service. That is it. With um, with this multi-cloud approach or multi-vendor approach, you know, what are some of the benefits and, and drawbacks of that? Like, what are what are they looking at in terms of what's good about it versus what's bad? Like Jim said, I see nothing but good. There's yeah, you know, you could you could talk about locality and where they're able to provide services and what networking capability they have. And you remember, our customers operate on a global scale. So, you know, not every place has the, you know, I'm sitting here on a Fios connection with a fiber optic link directly to the back end for me to have internet access. That doesn't exist everywhere in the world, right? And so for our customers, you know, geography matters, latency matters, and, you know, different hyperscalers have different capabilities in different regions. So, you know, that's an important thing that our customers are looking at as well as capability. And some just don't like change. So say you already have certain apps or things are already built in GCP or you have things already built in AWS. Well, if the Army or the Air Force says, hey, well, now we want everyone to migrate to Azure, you know, that that just that causes a huge uproar and then people slow slow roll the train and they they don't move, they don't do well when forced to do something they don't want to do. So if you give them the option of sticking with what they're normally used to, then yeah, you can get a lot more done. You know, that's part of NetApp's value, right? Our data fabric gives them the flexibility to be able to move transparently and easily between hyperscalers. So as their needs change, as contracts change, as, you know, hyperscaler pricing models may change, all of those things will vary over time. So it's important that the government have the flexibility to optimize at any point in time along that life cycle. There's another challenge that comes about with security, and that's when somebody actually gets access to the network and the data, and then they uh, proliferate ransomware into that infrastructure. So, you know, Matt, I know that we have some new stuff coming 
that helps you know address that. What what do we have available today that can help with the ransomware story? We have quite a few things today, actually, because uh, 9101 was recently released and it adds to that story. But uh, what I would what I would tell people the best way to think about ransomware protection it's similar to when you would go and buy a a car and you would want to say I want to avoid accidents. You know, you're not going to say, well, I'm going to take the seatbelt option, but I don't want the airbags or the anti-lock brakes. You're going to want all of it, right? <laughs> and so the NetApp solution for ransomware is much the same. Uh, you're talking about you want to detect early and often, so you can use uh, something like user behavioral analytics with cloud secure, you know, uh, something else that you might want to be able to detect. We just added in on tap is the onbox anti-ransomware. And it's not looking at the user level. It's looking at the volume level, volume workload activity. Maybe the attacker is launching, uh, you know, very small um, attacks with multiple user accounts. That's something where onbox uh, anti-ransomware would catch. So, we have multiple solutions like that. Um, the only other thing I would add is, you know, no ransomware solution is 100% foolproof, right? Things are, are going to get in and you want to make sure that you have a solid recovery plan. And that's where SnapLock comes into play as far as um, we have the capability to take snapshots and stick them in a SnapLock compliance volume so that they can't be deleted, you know, even by compromised administrators, right? You know, that you're guaranteed to have uh, that snapshot there to recover from. With the automatic ransomware protection, is that something that comes with every ONTAP um, release or is that something that you have to get special with a license? Or is there a package you have to acquire? Like, how do you get that functionality? Yeah, actually, so the OnBox version, um, it does require a license. It's part of our security and compliance bundle, which uh, interestingly enough, also includes SnapLock. Uh, and also include multi-tenant key management. But yeah, you do need that license. Once you get the bundle, you get all three of those features and you're able to uh, enable the anti-ransomware protection. Of course, you do need to be running 9.10.1 or later as well. Okay. So I also understand that there's something called NIAP. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about what that is and you know how NetApp fits into that particular explanation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the NIAP is related to something we were talking about earlier, uh, commercial solutions for classified. So, uh, Jim, I'm actually thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this over to you because, again, your customer is very much involved in this. Maybe you can explain more about NIAP specifically and how that uh, connects with CSFC. Sure. So, um, there's a, as I mentioned originally, there's a vetting process that we had to go through. Um, and so you have these protection profiles, which is basically a standard that we have to be vetted against. And we invoke a third party. It has to be done by an independent third party agency. And so what they're essentially doing is they're presenting the results. So we have an Indian organization validating our claims against a standard to produce an end report that is then presented to NIAP, which is the governing body for this, that, that then evaluates those claims against those standards. Then they agree that we've met those claims and they validate the solution. And in the case of CSFC, once we've received NIAP's validation, then it becomes made available to the agency, to the sponsoring agency, that uh, for a CSFC, which is the National Security Agency. And then they have a team of experts that go through and for all intents and purposes, revalidate and do their independent assessment of our capabilities. So you, it's a two, two layer commitment here, NIAP first and then the agency. And then once the agency is validated it, we can then say that we have our CSFC accreditation. And I should have pointed out NIAP, I don't think it was mentioned is the National Information Assurance Partnership. So it's the it's a partnership between the commercial side, in this case, NetApp and the, and the DOD and in general, the government to assume that we are able to meet a given set of requirements published in the capabilities package. So I know that in the IT industry, we're well known for our acronyms and, and that also carries over to the Department of Defense and USPS and all that stuff, right? So another acronym that comes up is, is something called STIG. So, so Dan, um, what is STIG? <laughs> um, it's a security technical implementation guide. And so it's, it's a, a set of rules, if you will, or controls that you can apply to a particular system 
to harden that system to the, the largest degree you can harden it. And the STIG is, is something that's published by DISA. Um, what's DISA stand for? Defense. <laughs> I can't remember what this acronyms. I think it's Defense Information System Agency. I believe. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I work with this a lot, but I just call them this all the time. But anyway, um, yeah. So you work with DISA to, um, first of all, present, you know, we, we, we did a, a vendor specific STIG for ONTAP, ONTAP 9.x. And so, first, you need to convince them why we need a vendor specific STIG because they have STIGs for um, general purpose operating systems, for network devices and all sorts of special categories that ONTAP doesn't fit into. And so we got granted the, the permission to um, pursue this vendor specific STIG. And then we get, went into a development process um, with DISA and we presented our, our um, work to them, you know, at intervals. And then they, DISA does a, an independent uh, validation of the STIG and then the STIG gets published. And so the STIG is really important to certain customers. I mean, certain customers, um, you know, won't consider a, a particular product unless there is a STIG. And then once they acquire the product, they can use the STIG to apply the, you know, the, all the items within the STIG to harden a particular environment. So ONTAP can be hardened. Yeah, yeah. It's really like when you think about it, we talked about STIG and, and Doden APL and commercial solutions for classified. For this USPS community, I think it's making things a lot easier for them because Let's say that they have a, you know, TS, top secret, they need, they need to put data on. Well, we're commercial solutions are classified, validated. We're on the Department of Defense's approved product list. And then you take a look at those things and you realize, oh, now I can find my on-tap specific STIG. So those three things really, really combine together to make it more simple and I think easier uh, to uh, implement on-tap, NetApp on-tap products. Yeah, and as Jim mentioned, um, you know, it's not only important for DOD customers and United States public sector customers, but commercial customers as well. I mean, large financials are very security conscious. And if they see that we have all these certifications, they think, well, if it's good enough for the DOD, it's certainly good enough for us. And so um, it's, it's a very powerful, all those certifications are very powerful. There's a reason why marketing departments call everything military grade, right? Because that's that's kind of like the standard that people strive for, whether or not it's the right way to approach it. But that's that's why people look to that is because if the military is using it, then it must be good enough for me. Absolutely. It's not a higher standard, right? When when lives really do matter, right? And, and it's it's just, it. I feel like it should give people a... a, a better better feeling of, of that we've been vetted and that we've passed some of the most stringent requirements in testing. Yeah, yeah, it goes all back to what I kind of said at the beginning, right? You got to you got to show your work and um it's it's great to have that third party validation at that standard. I think that really speaks a lot to how important uh, security is here at NetApp. Absolutely. And I, I always like showing my work in school, Matt. I don't know what what? <laughs> I oh, hated it. I, I was like, "Here's the answer. It's good enough, right?" No, yeah, I was more on that side. <laughs> See, but the answer is a toying cost. At least if you show you're working, get partial credit. That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just trying to figure out uh, where the stig is that I can drive my car. <laughs> get, get the helmet on. Well, don't have a stig, but you gotta go down to the DMV and take that test. You know. <laughs> All right. Sounds like we got a lot of things that are very interesting for security uh, in this space. Uh, and ONTAP is developing more and more as the new releases come. Uh, so, Matt, is there anything else you want to add? Not really add, just more drive home the point of, uh, you know, how amazing it, it is that the commercial solutions for classified validation has now gone through. It took a lot of, a lot of work uh, from the teams here at NetApp. And it does show that, uh, you know, from that security standpoint, if we're good enough to hold military grade top secret data, we're, we're pretty good at, at securing your data as well. So if anybody's listening that doesn't happen to be in USPS, uh, certainly take a look at that. And you can see, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes, Justin, but you can see all these certifications and their ex external validation links um, on the security.netup.com site like Dan mentioned. All right, excellent. And, yeah, and the one, one thing I'd like to just interject, we say USPS, I know we've said, We've spelled out the acronym. But when I first started at NetApp, 
I always thought, why is NetApp so focused on the postal service? You know? <laughs> I, I, I so, think the same thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, post office, it must be a huge customer. But <laughs> <laughs> isn't that United States public sector? Is it? it is. Yeah, it, it is. is. It's it public is. sector, but it sounds like the postal service because that's their acronym. But yet again, this problem with acronyms, right? It's true. USPS used to be the postal service in what? In the 1700s is probably the most important thing for security back then. So, uh, Matt, uh, you mentioned security.netup.com as a place to go for more information. Anywhere else you want to send people that we can put in the show notes? Uh, yeah, we uh, we touched on um, a few things on CSFC and also ransomware. So we'll include um, that my ransomware TR as well as our solutions brief on CSFC in the show notes. All right. Yeah, and, and where you can download the STIG. All right. Excellent. And, and Matt, if we wanted to reach you again, how do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. This time I'll answer it when you ask me. Intap uh, Matt on Twitter. That's N-T-A-P Matt. And Dan. Dan underscore college I'm for Twitter. But I'm going to cancel my account pretty soon. So. <laughs> and Jim. James Kleinmeyer at netapp.com. And one other thing I'll add that you might want to include, uh, we've released uh, white paper 7344, and that is our NetApp product security overview document. And that contains a lot of the things we've discussed today and also includes all of NetApp's portfolio. All right, excellent. Well, we'll be on the lookout for some more updates for future releases. And like we said, we'll uh, we'll put in the information that you added here in the show notes, the blog, whatever, so that people can get access and take a look at these things for themselves. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Matt Trudwin, Dan Tullis, Jim Kleinmeyer, and Lloyd Bramble for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.